Well, can I welcome you here this morning, especially those on live stream or including those on live stream. Uh, my name's Rick. For those who don't know, one of the pastors here. Can I encourage you to keep uh, your Bible open at Luke chapter 9? Now, if you flicked away from that, that's page 1577. Uh, when we gather together as God's people, there'll be people here who know Jesus is their Lord and Saviour and people who are sussing it out and trying to work out who Jesus is and whether he's worthwhile following. To those people who are followers of Jesus, those people who know Jesus is their Lord and Saviour, how long have you followed Jesus? It doesn't make any impact on what you do and say. So if you're going to flip open your diary and see for the last month what does it meant to be a follower of Jesus? What evidence would there be that you are a follower of Jesus? Now, you might not write everything down in your diary, but you know the point I'm making. If you reflect on what you've said, reflect on what you've done, reflect on what you haven't said and what you haven't done. What have you spoken about? What are your priorities in life? How have you worked? Do those sh- things that you've done over this last month show that you are a follower of Jesus? Uh, for pretty much all of Luke's gospel so far, the disciples that Jesus called have followed him around and done nothing, except occasionally they just put their foot in it big time, don't they? Of course, they've been learning. Because when you learn who Jesus is and what it means to follow him, that's a learning process, isn't it? They're learning what does it mean to follow. That is that they're learning what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus. And part of them learning what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is that they need to work out who Jesus is and what he's doing, what he's here for. What a great question. Who is Jesus and what he's here for? And then what are the implications of that for us today? Uh, Today, as we look at this section, we're going to see a bit of an insight into who Jesus is, but we're also going to see what are the implications for us as followers of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can suss out whether Jesus is worthwhile following and you can also check out whether your Christian friends are serious about following him. How about I pray for us? Our Lord and our God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you just for the opportunity to look at this section of Luke's gospel. And we pray, Lord God, that I'll be clear and we pray that you'll help us not to get distracted. But most importantly, we pray that we will both understand who you are and what it means to follow you. And we ask this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, that page 1577 in these Bibles, if you've got the same version I've got here, Luke, uh, sorry, Jesus calls the 12 disciples. So the bloke, Jesus started by gathering roughly 12 around him, and it gets a lot more, as we'll see at the beginning of chapter 10, and there's lots of different, but this is the 12. And he uh, gathered them together because he wanted now to send them out to do something. You know, they've just really walked around following him, putting their foot in it for the last, well, I don't know exactly how long, but the last period of time. And he's now sending them out to do something, and that is to proclaim the kingdom of God, verse 2, and to heal the sick. This is the first steps for them 
as followers to now start speaking the same message that Jesus has been speaking. The message of the kingdom. Now, if you went back to Luke chapter 4 verse 43, you'll read that speaking the message of the kingdom is the heart of what Jesus is on about. Jesus says, in fact, Jesus in Luke 4.43 has just stopped healing people and leaves sick people so that he can proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also because that is why I was sent. Go back to Luke chapter 9. If you look at verse 2, Jesus sends them out speaking the message of the kingdom and if you jump down to verse 6 you see that they go out and speak the good news. The word there is the gospel. The good news and the gospel are the same thing and the gospel and the message of the kingdom is the same thing. We'll come back to that in a little later time. Of course at this stage you're thinking well Jesus hasn't died and risen yet has he? So how can they proclaim the gospel? Hold that thought. We'll come back to that later. It's worthwhile noticing that when Jesus heals them out to speak the message of the kingdom of God, the gospel, he also wants them to heal. And those healings demonstrate the power and authority that Jesus has sent them out with. It's a powerful witness that these people are not normal people. They're not operating the way normal people might operate. They're operating with some sort of power and authority. The healings are not the message. The healings give authenticity to the message. They are attractive to people who want to come and hear, but they are not the message of the kingdom in and of themselves. And that's why Jesus in chapter 4 of Luke, verse 43 stops healing people and goes to other places to speak the message of the kingdom and it's right to assume that that was the same for Jesus in Luke 4 as it will be for the disciples in Luke 9 as Jesus sends them out. The message that they are to speak is central and the healings are to give authenticity to the power and authority by which they are sent by. We read in chapter verse three, sorry, chapter nine, verse three, that packing for this mission trip that they are on is going to be really easy. I like this sort of packing. Take nothing. Don't take staff. Don't take bag or bread or money or even an extra shirt. And we're thinking they've just got the clothes on their back. They will stink by the end of it. What are they learning? Why has Jesus said that? Well, you can make up a reason why Jesus has said it, but if Jesus has just sent you out on mission with nothing, one thing you will learn is that God was able to provide for those that do his work. Don't hear me saying that God will make your life easy and comfortable if you do his work. That is a very different thing. The organising of their accommodation was pretty easy. They didn't have to book on Airbnb. Uh, They basically turned up to a town and they talked about the message of the kingdom, the gospel, and people would welcome them into here because that's what they did in those days. People would turn up. There wasn't Airbnb to to book in on. And the people in your town would would hear, be interested in what you said and invite you back. That was normal very different to today you probably wouldn't even ever think 
of inviting a visiting preacher back to your place unless they were famous and you wanted their autograph. And when they go, they're not to play favourites. They don't go to one house for one night and then find out that the other bloke has more servants than a pool and go there next week. They are to get to the village, they are to speak the message of the kingdom with the place and the person God has provided. It's not about them, it's about the message and when they finished, leave the town and go, or village and go to the next one. A common cultural thing for people to do was to welcome in the visiting speaker if they liked what they said. But if they did not like what they said, what did they do? They told them to nick off. They didn't invite them in. There was no place to accommodate. And Jesus says, when that happens, shake the dust off your feet. And what does that mean? Well, it's just saying, if you're not interested in finding about the message of the kingdom, that's okay. But you cop the consequences of that later. Shaking the dust off their feet is just reminding them that one day they have to do their business with God. And if you don't like the message of the kingdom, that doesn't stop God being king. It just means that one day you'll turn up before the sovereign Lord of all the universe and you'll be on the wrong side of him. You'll be cactus. Now we're not told how long they went on their mission trip for, but in verse 6 notice that they went from everywhere, everywhere, from village to village. They didn't go all over the world, don't worry about that. They went everywhere around the region. And what did they do? Lots of people got to hear the message of the kingdom because mission was not dependent on Jesus. Jesus is now commissioning them to go out and tell more people. Why? Well, if Jesus is who he claims to be, isn't it vital that everyone gets to the idea to work out what they're going to do with, with Jesus? We have been told in verse 7 that when people go out talking about the message of the kingdom, about the gospel, not everyone likes it. Sure, we've already picked up not everyone's going to want to hear it, but sometimes people hear it and they don't like what they hear. There was a bloke called Herod, the Tetrarch. He was very interested in what's now happening because he thought he'd stamped out this message of the kingdom previously and it seems to be going on. He, He says, what is happening... I have already killed John the Baptist. John the Baptist, of course, he paid what we might consider the ultimate price for speaking the message of the kingdom. And here is a reminder that when God sends you out, even though God provides, don't expect that it's a walk in the park. There is opposition to people who speak the message of the kingdom, the gospel. What an exciting time for the disciples. Uh, You get the impression that they've just had a a good period of time going around the region talking about the kingdom. They all get back and they do lots of talking about it and Jesus takes them to a place called Bethsaida or in the region around Bethsaida because we are told that that's remote. I've got a picture of roughly where that is. If you wanted to walk from Capernaum to Bethsaida at 7.5 k's, or miles that might be, No, I think it is 7.5 k's, um, and uh, that will take you not all that long if you're used to walking. Um, and the disciples thought they were going away for a quiet retreat with Jesus to, as they say, a remote region, probably not to the centre of Bethsaida. But when they get there, a whole pile of people have been following them. 5,000 blokes. Imagine what that would have been like. Amazingly, Jesus welcomes them in. 
If I was Jesus and a 5,000 people turned up at my campsite when I was hoping for a bit of rest and relaxation, I would not be all that welcoming. Jesus was far more gracious than I would ever be. Isn't that good? Um, and uh, Jesus, is it, because these people were interested in the kingdom of God, why were they interested in the kingdom of God? Well, the disciples had just been going through the region telling people about the kingdom of God and telling people about the gospel and now they're coming to, well, they would have mentioned Jesus to find out who Jesus is and what Jesus has said to find out more about the kingdom. They were so interested that they weren't sitting there watching their watches to wonder if the bloke out the front's going to keep going. They were actually staying there right into the late evening. It's far more interesting to have Jesus speaking than me, isn't it? The disciples are a bit worried about this. So what do the disciples do? Well, we need to get rid of these people because, well, we were hoping for a nice quiet time with Jesus. We're exhausted from our mission trip. Why don't we send them away to, because we're in a remote place, they need to find food and lodgings. We can't help them. What have they learned about doing mission? Nothing. They have so much more to learn, don't they? And Jesus straight away shows them why they don't need to worry. There's a crowd there, 5,000 men, as we're told, plus women and children. Now, one of the other Gospels tells us that there was at least one kid there. My gut feeling is there were no women there because no one packed any food. But that might be a bit sexist to say that. There's a boy with five loaves and two fish. Jesus has captivated them with his teaching. They are hungry. There is nowhere to get food. Is Jesus able to provide the disciples should have learned that on mission shouldn't they but they didn't and Jesus says divide them into groups of 50 don't think there's anything particularly uh, religious in getting into groups of 50 that might have been dependent on the size of the basket or the time it would take to to feed them it says roughly 50 anyhow Jesus gives thanks to God He uses the standard way that normal people who had a Jewish background gave thanks. This is not some sort of pseudo-communion happening for those that really want to read communion back into it. He breaks the bread and I assume he breaks the fish and the broken pieces are distributed. The people ate all they could and they were all satisfied and Jesus makes it clear that there's 12 baskets left over. In other words, Jesus has provided abundantly for them. That's the purpose, I think, of what is happening here. But there's more than just the ability for Jesus to provide abundantly so that people can hear the message of the kingdom. If you knew your Old Testament perfectly, back in 2 Kings, that's an Old Testament book, chapter 4, verse 42 through to verse 44, it says, A man came from Baal Shalisha, Bringing the man of God, bringing the man of God, that is Elijah, Elisha, sorry, twenty bar- loaves of barley bread break from the first ripe corn, along with some ears of new corn. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men? His servant asked. But Elisha answered, Give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord. See that in capital letters. That means Yahweh 
has says, they will eat and have some leftovers. Then he set it before them and they ate and had some leftover according to the word of Yahweh, the Lord. In other words, Jesus is doing to this, for this crowd of 5,000 blokes plus women and children the same as what Yahweh did for a, couple, for a hundred, was it, uh, in the Old Testament. Jesus is showing that he has the same power and authority as Yahweh. That's something important to know if you are going out on mission, speaking about the kingdom of God at the instruction of Jesus. Jesus is preparing them to know that God can provide and will provide. Doesn't mean that life is going to be easy for them, but Jesus, as he sends people out on mission, can provide abundantly for them. And they know who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who does the things that Yahweh can do. That is important to grasp hold of. Now next week, as we take a look at the next section, we're going to see that the pennies start to drop for these blokes. But I'm going to press the pause button there and ask the question, how does any of this story, a particular part of the story I'm sure we all know very well, how does it speak to us today? Well, I think... Chapter 9 in Luke, and this section in Luke, is actually got a number of things that it will teach us about discipleship. That is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? We're only looking at the first one this week. So how does this section teach us what discipleship looks like? Well, I actually think I'm going to say that it teaches us what discipleship doesn't look like for us. In other words, I don't think Luke chapter 9 verses 1 through to verse 9 is a model for us as we send missionaries or do discipleship following Jesus today. Let me tell you why I think it's not the model for us. Well, actually, you go to Luke 10, Jesus sends out 72 and he gives them slightly different instructions. And so it would be wrong, therefore, to say that what he gave to the 12 was a model when what he gave to the 10, 72 later on, is also a model. And if you go to the end of Luke's Gospel, in Luke 24, he gives another set of instructions. In other words, what I'm saying here is that the instructions Jesus gives the disciples in Luke 9 is a description of what he gave them, but it is not prescriptive on what he gives every one of us today. We'll get to that by Luke 24. These disciples are learning what it means for them to be sent out on mission and Jesus is telling them, don't pack anything, don't take anything, don't arrange your accommodation, stay in only one place for as long as you are allowed to stay in one place. That is not what Jesus is saying to us. So it would be not right for us to use this as a prescription of what we must do when we go out on mission. So what do we need to pick up on? Well, I just mentioned it. Following Jesus requires those who follow Jesus to be those people who speak about the gospel. It's not an optional extra. Mission, that is telling people about Jesus, who he is and what he's done, is something that is every follower of Jesus should do. Isn't it interesting that there's a couple of comedians called Penn and Tell, and one of them says that, they're both atheists by the way, 
he says that unless Christians tell others about Jesus, so that Christians should tell others about Jesus if they really believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died to rescue people for eternity with God forever. So their view is that if God was real, which they of course don't believe, if Christians really believe it, they should be telling others. Hopefully I haven't confused you too much. Discipleship is not a passive thing. That's quite challenging, isn't it? Now, don't hear me saying that if you're a follower of Jesus, you must go to a different country and tell everyone about Jesus in that country. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that if you are a follower, if you are a disciple of Jesus, that is not a message that you keep to yourself. Where's your mission? Where's your mission field? Who is it in your world that gets to hear about the message of the kingdom? That is the gospel, who Jesus is and what he's done. What he's done to fix the problem of sin and rescue people for eternity. Did you notice that we are sent out to speak the same gospel message? Well, I've just said in chapter 9, that's uh, what Jesus said for the disciples. Let me show you what the rest of Luke's gospel says. If you go to Luke 24, verse 46 to 47, they are told to share the good news. And the good news is expanded or unveiled for them by then. And they now know that Jesus has died and risen that Jesus has forgiven sin. Jesus paid the debt of sin and wiped away the guilt of sin so that people who are sinners just like us could go and stand before the judgment seat of God with confidence because our sin has been paid for. Go back to the verse 44 and 45. As Jesus reminds them what they are to go and say, he's told them, that this is what the Moses, the law and the prophets and the Psalms say. In other words, Jesus has showed them that the Old Testament unpacks the gospel. Jesus has not given them a new gospel or a different gospel. The message of the kingdom is the same. They just know the name of the bloke who fulfilled it. The Old Testament always revealed that God would send someone who would die in the place of people's sin to rescue them for all eternity. What message do you share? When you are going to talk to people about who Jesus is and what he's done, what do you speak about? Now, you, won't, you maybe don't use the clunky language of talking about the kingdom of God. That meant a lot to people who were followers of God 2,000 years ago. But what do you speak about? Well, Jesus gives a bit more detail, doesn't he, in Luke 24, that Jesus has died for sin. Repentance is needed. We live in a culture where churches don't always speak the gospel. It's nothing new, it's been like that for 2,000 years. But rather than critique the false teachers, say, in the Anglican Church of Adelaide, 
What about ourselves? Where are we likely to vary the gospel or go light on the gospel message? If you don't want persecution in our culture today, you'll talk about the fact that God loves us and leave it there. Everyone likes someone who loves us. That's using the language of our culture without having any opposition. And yet, a half-truth is not the whole truth, is it? God does love us, absolutely. God loves us enough to send his own son to die in our place, to pay the debt of our sin, so that you and I can approach the throne of grace with confidence. God requires us not just to know that he loves us, but he requires us to do something with the gift of forgiveness that he offers us. Some people talk about the Christian faith as just follow God and you don't need to change anything. The Bible says if you accept that Jesus is the one who paid the debt of your sin, you need to repent. That is, turn away from what you're doing and believe the good news. That is, accept the gift of salvation. You see, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, requires that we change, doesn't it? And so it's a false gospel that says you just need to follow Jesus and nothing else. We like to pick out some things that people change. What about selfishness? Have you working on your selfishness? Am I working on my selfishness, my pride, my gossip and slander? What about my materialism? Christians will often say, listen, if you follow Jesus, you need to fix your sex lives up and that's all. And Jesus says, well, your sex lives need to be godly, but so does every part of you if you follow Jesus. Have you got a gospel that doesn't include repentance? Let's go on to another one. What about the morality one? I've sort of raised that one already, haven't I? Are you right with God because of his grace or does your gospel require people to be right with God and perfectly moral in some areas? Normally the areas that I have no trouble with but the areas that other people do have trouble with. Have you got a legalistic, moralistic gospel or do you have a gospel of grace? If we are going to be people who are sent out as disciples of Jesus to proclaim the message of the gospel, we need to make sure that the gospel message we proclaim is the same as the gospel message that Jesus proclaimed. But people won't always like that. And we're reminded here that there's always a real threat of persecution, isn't it? That someone might lose their job because they follow Jesus. John the Baptist lost his head because he proclaimed the message of the kingdom. Herod's not actually interested in following Jesus. He's making sure that the message of the kingdom doesn't keep going forward because he likes to rule his kingdom with no opposition. What does persecution look like for us today? It's changing all the time, isn't it? Just expect it. It's part and parcel with being a follower of Jesus. Don't get worried about it. There's nothing people can do that can separate you from the wonderful love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even if you lose your job or your life. 
the rest of Luke's gospel and the rest of Acts show us that speaking the message of the kingdom is not a walk in the park. The rest of the New Testament shows us that speaking the message of the kingdom will cost you everything. And that's the point. We live in a Christian country, we think. That is not true. We live in a country that has adopted many Christian values in the past and doesn't like most of them now. But they weren't a Christian country. Christians are people who follow Jesus. Christians are people who speak the message of the kingdom. And our country has not liked people who speak the message of the kingdom for at least 200 years that white people have been here, or whatever it is exactly since they arrived. We are not a Christian country, and we never were. But here's the question that impacts us. How are you being a disciple of Jesus? How are you speaking the message of the kingdom into our country? Or maybe into other countries around the world. If you are a true disciple, you will be involved in speaking in the same mission that Jesus was. And Jesus says, expect opposition. Now there's lots more to speak about here and you might be wondering about, well, what's happening about these miracle stuff? Let's have more of those. I just briefly raised it before, I'll just briefly raise it again here. Uh, Miracles happen a few times in scripture. They're not evenly spread right throughout all of salvation history. You see a number of miracles when Moses rescues people from the Exodus. You see a number of miracles around Elijah and Elisha. You see miracles around a bloke called Daniel and you see miracles around Jesus and some of the early church for a short period of time anyhow. But they're not soaked through scripture at every stage, are they? And what are the miracles doing? Well, Jesus reminds us the miracles there are a sign of who he is and where his power and authority come from. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't do miracles today. I'm just saying the miracles are not the message. They are simply a means of authenticating who the, messenger, the, the, the message that the messenger speaks. We sometimes get them around the wrong way today. Does God still want to work in miraculous ways? Yeah, when he does. He's not my genie. He's not my magician to work out what I want to do. But God sometimes uses miracles to bring people into his kingdom to hear the message of the kingdom. Now, that's going to throw up in a whole pile of questions. Feel free to ask ask them. But just to let you know, I'm nicking off relatively soon because I've got to go to Synod. Not that I love Synod, it's just on. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for us as God's people that we pick up on what this message picks, this, this passage picks up in. That we, if we're disciples of Jesus, are sent on mission with the same message that Jesus had, that people might know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your good word. Thank you for the reminder that following you is not a passive thing. Lord, help us to be people who talk about the kingdom of God, the gospel, who talk about the fact that Jesus lived, died and rose again, who talk about the fact that Jesus did that to pay the debt of sin and wipe away the guilt of sin, offering us the gift of forgiveness that we need to grasp hold of. 
Lord, we pray that as your people, not only will we not forget that message, but that you will use us to speak that message into the lives of people who desperately need to hear it. And we ask this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen.